0: Here's the host of the Talent Talk radio show, the founder and CEO of People G2,
1: Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here to Talent Talk today and uh, for joining me here in this conversation with the two fabulous guests that we have lined up. As the sort of the intro gets into, you know, this is really a conversation that we're looking to have, and uh, as I had the privilege of meeting so many different leaders and smart people, uh, great people, ...out there that um, you know really have something to say. We, we really built this for to bring you guys in, let you listen in, and hopefully we can learn something from them. So as this show is really designed to give you that opportunity to listen in, um, really hope that you take away a nugget, something that you can use in your own career, maybe even um, in a meeting or interaction that you have later on today. So uh, that's really the goal here. Hopefully we can find something to help you become a, a, a better, better in your job, <clears throat> better in your life. And I know that certainly uh, the people, the guests on my show tend to help me in that way a lot. So um, Talent Talk, a uh, little little business here, is, is live every Tuesday. So if you're not listening live, you can listen live at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And uh, that's on the TuneIn uh, network. You can download that app on your phone and search for Talent Talk and you'll find us. But most people actually tune in on iTunes on a podcast app or the iHeartRadio uh, platform. We've amassed a, a huge following, and we had over 375,000 of you come in last week and listen to a podcast, or maybe more than once. So we really appreciate you doing that. Big thank you to everyone who's a regular listener of the show. I do have uh, two guests, as I mentioned, and uh, before I get to my first one, just remind you, you can submit your questions uh, via Twitter. So hop on Twitter, put in a question, add the hashtag Talent Talk. If you have room to add PeopleG2, that helps and we will uh, try to feed them into the show. We can certainly continue that dialogue after the fact. So if you're listening on a podcast later on, we can we can still have that dialogue. just won't be live. We won't get that question answered uh, live on the radio. But my guests today are uh, Pam Schmidt, a consultant and culture creator. And then we'll have uh, uh, Andrea Goulet, a co-founder and CEO of Corgi Bites LLC. Um, she'll join me in the second half of the show. But let's go ahead and get to my first guest, uh Pam Schmidt, Pam, uh, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. So, tell everyone a little bit about yourself, uh, what you're doing right now, and uh, you know, kind of your role as a consultant.
2: Sure. So, um, first off, I am uh, a little bit further north of you. I uh, live and work out of Vancouver, BC, beautiful, beautiful British Columbia, and. Um, I have uh, been doing this work as a consultant probably since about uh, 2007, 2005, 2007 was when I started my master's degree out of uh, the Leadership Institute of Seattle, and um, I just I love the work, Uh, I have a bit of an eclectic background, I have a... Certificate in fashion merchandising. I've worked in the IT world, and all of that has helped me to really um, get a really wide perspective that I'm able to bring and uh, use with my clients and the leaders that I help them serve.
1: So, it's kind of a, a wide range of uh, things that you're doing, <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll kind of get into some of those. And I'm wondering if you're counting down the days, you're, you're still in the time of beautiful British Columbia, but the last time I was there, it was the end of October, and everyone was about ready to hunker down for the the hard winter. So, yeah, you may be coming up on that. Absolutely. (laughs) So in in your work with leaders, you really focus on uh, three distinct areas, vision, uh, goals, and culture. So let's start with vision. Uh, What what do you find is that leaders kind of most need when it comes to creating or aligning their vision uh, with the company?
2: I think the biggest thing is really to... um, I find most most leaders are trying to create a vision, you know, within the walls of their company, and they want to do it within a few hours. And really, I think to to get to that space of really being a vision, I think it needs some time to get into that space, to get out of the kind of day to day, and into almost um, you know appreciative inquiry. You know, uses the term dreaming. And you know, into that kind of a space to be able to really expand and be able to create a vision that is inspiring and that's really connected to the why—the why they're doing what it is that they're doing—and um, I think that's the biggest thing: is really like is really being able to to shift the mindset.
1: So we get into why, and it's a it's a fascinating um, kind of topic. It's been a lot of different people that have. You know, pushed on it from many different areas. Um, You know, Simon Sinek is one that kind of comes to mind, but there's quite a bit. So maybe you could talk about, there there are certainly companies, I mean, I run into them all the time at conferences, and they're usually the ones that they're speaking, and they talk about their why, and their why is like really cool. They do something Mm -hmm. pretty spectacular, and you get it, why their employees can be so connected to their why. But what if you're working with a client whose why is pretty you know, undefined and is really hard to find. I, I generally use the example of like, you know, they're a pencil company and they make boring <laughs> yellow pencils, right? And so so how, how do how do you work with companies maybe at that level? Because you have the ones that are maybe saving people's lives and then you have people who are making pencils, right? So so how do you dive into it at that level?
2: Right. I think it's about... You know, so why are they making the pencils? What What is, you know, I, I love Simon Sinek um, and his explanation of, that, of why. But it's, you know, what else does that enable people to do? What is, you know, what is behind the pencils in a sense? What is, you know, who's going to be using the pencils? What might they be using them for? Um, how might that make a difference for them? Um, and then really, you know, connecting to those values, like what's what, What's the value in making pencils? Like maybe it's to help kids in developing countries, um, you know, and the difference of that, that those pencils make to them. So being able to find something um, beneath that, beneath the, the actual product as to so that people can connect to that and to connect to their own values around that you know that's what i look at it is beyond the product what's what's the what's the purpose behind the product
1: yeah that's a it's a really good way to put it you know what are people doing with those pencils that what effect is that having you know does that allow people to you know graduate from college or even you know learn their fir- write their first letters in, in in elementary school i mean that, that yeah. those are those are great things to, to think about and I, I find that's where people have the biggest challenges in the, the kind of less obvious places, but they're there. And, yeah, absolutely. And that kind of transform translates into your employees having a greater understanding of why we're doing what we're doing. Why does it matter that it's done right? Why does it matter that we're you know, showing up and working hard and dealing with problems? I mean, that, that why is a huge component
2: exactly so that employees can tap into that and feel inspired about their work and that it gives their work meaning um and that there's a bigger reason for coming in other than just you know perhaps a paycheck
1: right right absolutely so uh, the next one was goals and i know we do a lot with goals here in our company um on the personal end and departmentally and and for the overall for the company. So. Maybe you could talk about what is the kind of impact in goal setting maybe at the leadership level to start
2: sure um, I think goal setting is is really is crucial um, certainly to align those goals with the vision and to have to have that broken down in such a way that um, as it does filter down everything's everything's connected so that everybody's like. You know, working towards that same north star, in a sense, and at that leadership level, to be able to, you know, I often, um, often, <laughs> I've worked with companies that the the leaders have like fifteen different priorities and fifteen different goals and things that they're working on, and I'm like, how successful are you being in actually achieving any of them? And it it's almost like every like there's there's that sense that everything has to be done all at once. And so what I really try and encourage people to do is like focus on your top three for the next three months and see where you get to with those. And then because at the end, if you and then in the next three months, look at where you're at and what the, maybe the next three goals are that you want to really focus on because you might actually get more traction that way than spreading yourself too thin, um, trying to do all these things all at once and not really being able to do any of them well.
1: Right. And, 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 so so you're finding that it's that they're kind of taking it to this extreme level, right, that they're the goal setting has sort of gone too far, instead of keeping it maybe more specific, more uh, concentrated into areas that maybe have the most impact. Is that kind of what you're getting at?
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, to, to not say that those 15 things aren't important or don't need to be done, but um, to really choose some that are of a fo- that are that you want to focus on, and that are maybe the most fundamental. Because trying to what I what I see is that when people have 15 goals, what happens is that really nothing gets done. Um, that it's too hard to figure out what my priority is, um, and so how do how do how as leaders do we help people to focus their time and their attention to actually be able to move things forward?
1: Right, absolutely, absolutely. So you know m- maybe then once we kind of. Um, align vision and and we've got goals that are set, then the organizational culture then will start to be defined by both of these things. But maybe how readily is everyone within the company you know, really able to support that and, and to make that happen? So I guess maybe the question is for a company that's maybe lacked vision and goals and the culture is kind of up in the air. How hard is it to kind of then get back on track towards that success? Can you can you get two in and then that makes the third one happen? Is that is that how it works, or does it take some other level or some other uh, act or or event to kind of kick the company into gear?
2: Well, personally, I think that that culture needs to be part of um, part of that vision because. It's going to take certain behaviors and attitudes in order to be able to achieve those goals and the vision for the company. So it, for me, it's about being intentional about, about how people need to be with each other in order to actually achieve those goals. And so I think the culture is actually a really important piece. It also is a reflection of the values of the company. And so how, how does that all – because my values will also drive my behavior – it will help me. What I value will uh, be what I focus on and spend my time and attention on. So, if I as an employee aren't, if I'm not clear about my role in, you know, achieving the vision or seeing how it connects to the my day to day work, you know, I could be very much focused and doing a whole bunch of work in in a very different direction than than how it aligns with the vision. So, I think the culture is really important to be able to be clear about that and. And to be able for leaders to demonstrate um, the role modeling is really important, uh, for the leaders to demonstrate what it is that is important and what the values of the company are and how those get demonstrated in a behavioral way.
1: Sure, sure. And that, and that can be really difficult um, to kind of make all that happen. I think maybe people think that culture specifically comes out only out of vision and goals and I think they're a part of it as you said it, it, it's an overall process but, but maybe can we def- we sort of def- define vision quite a bit we define goals people kind of understand that but is there is there some other definition of culture then that's relevant to what we're talking about today
2: well i i tend to think of culture uh, like in in the simplest form for me it's it's what would I see if I walked into your company? How would I be greeted by somebody? Um, If I asked a question, how would I be responded to? If I sent an email, how quickly do I get a response? If I'm unhappy with something, how is my complaint dealt with? I think all those things speak to the culture, which again also speaks to the values and the vision. I think those things speak to the culture of a company.
1: Sure, sure. So kind of getting all those things figured out and, and, and defined and, and out there so that your employees can can know it and managers can reinforce it uh, it's a pretty big job um, which i think is and- why why people hire someone like you to, to come in and help them right
2: yeah, and and another layer to that is actually are the processes aligned? You know, if like does the orientation reflect our values and the vision of the company? Do, do our hiring processes reflect the vision and the values of our company and how people are treated and onboarded even? So there's the, it it can get quite complex quite quickly.
1: Sure, sure. So I know you've also worked as an organizational development specialist and focused on leadership development and culture change. So what are maybe some of the highlights from uh, from this role, from things that you were maybe able to implement or take away with you and apply in other situations? Do you have you know some sort of uh, your know, rock star list of some great things that you you've been able to do in those roles? <laughs>
2: um, certainly, there are highlights for me. Um, most important for me, though, is always. Um, is if, if if my client is happy, that always to me is like the best measure of success is if the, my client is happy and they've had a um, they've come away feeling like the outcomes of the session have been achieved and when I follow up with them uh, within a few months afterwards that they they tell me things that have been these really wonderful byproducts of a session and things like um, you know I had one leader tell me that, uh, after the session, that the his team came to him and said that they wanted to change how their one-on-ones were done. That they wanted to actually have it m- even more aligned with um, the process that we'd gone through, which was around aligning their um, their vision with their strategic goals. And, um, you know, that they're talking more with each other and um, engaging more with each other as a team and bringing him in in the more critical moments rather than always going to him. So those moments are fantastic. I love hearing that and the, the kind of ripple effects that continue to happen after a session in a company and through a team. I really customize all of my, uh, my designs and my facilitations uh, to each client and what it is that they're needing and wanting to achieve in a session. So certainly there's, there's times when I can pull from different designs where it's like, oh, I think this piece would work here as well. But those real standout ones, I mean, working, working with teams that have gone on over a period of time and actually seeing them launch, launch um, like culture principles that they'd worked on and um, help them help facilitate them through that process, and then helping them to actually launch it and implement it. Those kind of things are really exciting and really wonderful to see, and to see the difference, the transformation that happens in the team that comes together, and then um, bringing that more into the organization and seeing how that that impacts and ripples out again is just it's, Those are the things that are really exciting for me.
1: And I'm sure you've also then on the flip side had challenges, had areas <laughs> in our companies. I won't ask you to name names, but you know, it's been more challenging when there's been uh, maybe the company couldn't overcome some of their internal challenges or couldn't put in place some of the things that you know you developed. Are, are there any that in general kind of stand out, or are there things that you generally try to to fight, you're fighting against all the time that when you go in to try to help the company?
2: Yeah, well, definitely there are challenges, especially um, the difference between um, private sector and public sector. Definitely the public sector is certainly more challenging in, like, a unionized environment, um, dealing with contracts with those unions and things that can or cannot be done certainly make it more challenging, and that is um, the change that I see is much slower. So those ripple effects don't happen quite so quickly uh there's much more of an engagement process that needs to occur um so those those are certainly more challenging definitely um the the change is much slower in those organizations like that and i've certainly had my my times where um you know i've i've facilitated something and just thought wow that it really went sideways, <laughs>
1: sure,
2: and having to do those conversations with the leaders afterwards as to what happened and you know. But um, and those are often very powerful learning moments for me, for sure.
1: Yeah, sometimes that's the ones where you maybe you learn, even learn the most. I mean, uh, <laughs> exactly. where you have your successes, it's a lot of pleasure in that. But you know, sometimes you learn a lot by the ones that are the most challenged and get it in the next place and, and have a even better solution.
2: Yeah, and asking some different questions for sure to to find out some of those things that um, that didn't surface through normal. Um, you know, discovery discovery
1: process. Sure, sure. Well, it sounds like uh, you, you have a really good understanding of all of this and, um, and, and and the fact that you, you knew who Simon Sinek was. I, I'm going to guess that you probably like to read a few books and you might enjoy uh, uh, kind of learning new things. So one of our favorite questions to ask our guests is, uh, are you reading a book right now and will you tell us about it?
2: Well, I just got back from a month in Europe, so I actually read three books, but they're all nonfiction. <laughs> I'm sorry, they're all fiction. So I'm certainly happy to share those, but in terms of um, in terms of a work perspective, I've uh, just started reading a, an older book. It, it came out um, probably about 10 years ago, and it's called Dialogue, the Art of Thinking Together, and I've um, have been, have, um, been thinking a lot more about dialogic organization development and really about the impact of bringing people together and having um, different and more meaningful conversation and dialogue. And this book talks a lot about uh, ways to do that and uh, the difference between dialogue and conversation and things like that. So I'm just starting it, but I'm quite excited to read it. Another all-time favorite, um, Ben Zander, The Art of Possibility, uh, for any leader who's looking to find ways to feel inspired or to inspire their their teams. It's such a great book, gives lots of different tools and options and um, ideas on how to do that. So I think that's a great, great old standby for sure.
1: Yeah, and uh, just as a reminder, we will definitely uh, list this along with the recap of of the show on our our blog on peopleg2.com. So if you didn't have a pen or a pencil handy to write any of those books down, we will certainly have a link to them in that blog recap uh, later on, uh, as we always do for all of our shows. So, you know, you, you've mentioned uh, quite a few things here today, um, you know, around the idea of culture and, and what companies can, can do to really align their people. Um, you know, if there's something was, that you really hope that a listener would, would remember or take away, is there, is there one or two things that you think they should have really remembered or captured or written down or maybe try to go back and, and, and do in their company?
2: One, one of the – so there's something that's really important to me. That it's always around building capacity and um, being able to create more leaders, formal or informal, within companies, being able to give people those opportunities to really shine and be successful, I think is really important. So that perpetual ability to build capacity is one of the things that I do when I work with my clients is I really want to help um, help upskill them in a sense. Uh, to be able to have conversations together on their own without necessarily needing me or somebody like me to come in and support that. Um, so, you know, even as a leader looking for opportunities to build capacity within their own people um, and as much as possible bring people together, give them opportunities to um, to connect, to give their feedback, to feel engaged uh, and, and make linkages between work that's going on and how that connects with their work that they do on a day-to-day basis and how that connects with the vision. And just, you know, I don't think that can be be said too often.
1: Absolutely, and that's uh, very well said. Uh, so uh, the only other thing I want to make sure we ask is uh, how can people uh, get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about you or they want to have you come in and work with them as a consultant? What's the best way for them to to go online to find out more about you?
2: Uh, you can certainly go. Thank you, and um, you can certainly go to my website, which is pamshmidt.ca, and um, you can also find me on LinkedIn. Uh, and I think that you guys have been um, feverishly sending out some Twitter uh, um, some Twitter feeds, so uh, you can also find me on uh, on Twitter there as well.
1: Do you Do you know your Twitter name off the top of your head? There,
2: uh, it's Pamshmidt One, I believe okay
1: yeah and you can check at people g2 uh my producer mike has been live tweeting our conversation so the best little bits have made it onto twitter and you can definitely get caught up there but uh pam really appreciate you being on the show today and sharing uh your passion about culture it's something that i'm really passionate about so it's always great to connect with somebody else and and hear what you're doing and how you're doing it and uh certainly would love to have you come back at some point and give us an update on what you're doing
2: I would love that. Thank you so much for your time and for uh, asking me to be part of this great show. Thank you so much, Chris.
1: All right. We'll be right back after this quick uh, commercial break with our second guest, uh, Andrea Goulet. Hey, welcome back here to the Talent Talk Radio show. Uh, Don't forget, you can interact with us in so many different ways. As if your life wasn't uh, empty enough, we can fill it up with Talent Talk all day long. You can be on Twitter, you can get us on iHeartRadio, podcast app for iTunes, and you can also go to talenttalkradio.com. We have all of our shows there as well. So you can go back to our very first show with Kim Shepard. You can pick up some of our... Most popular shows like one with Marshall Goldsmith or David Marquet or uh, the great guys over at uh, uh, Golden State Foods. We've had some really popular shows uh, that people always seem to to gravitate back to, and we uh, hundreds of other ones. So feel free to rummage around there, find one that maybe interests you, and uh, and take a listen. And we'd love to hear back from you on on your thoughts and and how uh, if you liked it or not. So. Well, let's go ahead and get to my uh, second guest here, Andrea Goulet. Uh, hopefully, I'm, I'm, I, I have a pronunciation guide for her last name. Hopefully, I'm saying her first name correctly because there's probably two ways I could have said it. But she's the co-founder and CEO of uh, Corgi Bytes. Uh, as a reminder, uh, you can tweet your questions live for us right now at PeopleG2. Use the hashtag TalentTalk, and we'll try to feed it in. But, uh, Andrea, welcome to the show. Thank you very
3: much for having me.
1: So is it Andrea or Andrea?
3: My parents say Andrea, but I. Andrea. There was a third option. There we go. (laughs) Yeah, and I had a client about ten years ago who gave a good mnemonic. Who said to tell people that to remember that I'm always on.
1: You're always on Andrea. Andrea. There we go. Well, that's very good. Yeah. it would not be a talent talk radio show if I did not screw up somebody's name. Um, I usually have to pay a fine to the producer for for doing so. But, but why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and, uh, and and your company and what it does?
3: Yeah. So, Corgi Bytes is a software development company, and what we do that's kind of unique is that we modernize existing software applications. So sometimes I refer to us as. This Old House of Software or the Bob Vila's of the Internet, where we'll go into an application that has already been around for several years. The business is very sound. It's revenue-generating, but it needs some love. And the challenge was that most developers, about 90% of developers on the market, if you ask them how they would approach this problem, they would say, oh, we'll just bulldoze everything and rewrite it, which as somebody, my background is in sales marketing operations, and that never made any sense to me. I was like, that sounds really expensive. Why would you do it that way? And my business partner happens to be one of the 10% of people who really likes working with existing code bases, or sometimes it's called legacy code. And so together we said, well, what if we formed a business where that was all we do is we work on legacy code and we modernize it and we make it better over time. And over the past, I mean, he started the business in 2008. We've really kind of refined it. And over the past probably four years, we've really honed in on this. And we've created some um, terminology to help us describe this problem. So we describe what we do as software remodeling as opposed to building, you know, kind of brand-new construction. And then we've also defined the type of developers who really like working on these problems as menders, as opposed to the makers of the world, which have a very prominent place in our culture. You see Make Magazine and Maker Fair and Make, Make, Make everything. And then we're like, well, what about those of us who really like taking the prototypes or taking the things that the makers make and then polishing them and, they, and making them even better. Um, I think there's a lot to be said for making, but there's also a lot for, for mending. And so we formed a community, you know, both within Corgi Bites and our staff, but then also beyond that around really the best practices of mending um, so that the people who like doing this type of work don't feel like second-class engineers anymore.
1: Well, it's a really fascinating business model, and it really kind of puts you into this arena of a fast-changing industry. There's always, so it seems to be new, new ways to do stuff. There's new codes. There's new kind of whether they're better new coding platforms or not is another argument, but it always seems to be kind of this new attention, new direction. So maybe, what do you see as kind of your biggest you know opportunity or challenge that you're facing to really stay on top of the, of that market?
3: Yeah, I think the thing for us is finding people who have truly adopted a growth mindset and who are just eager, eager, eager to learn. Um, and that can be a new language. Um, you know, I, you know, we have folks where it's like, okay, I've never coded in this language before, but I'm going to dive in and I'm going to learn it, and I'm going to use all of the different experiences that I've had. And they just dive in with gusto. So, so that willingness um, to accept that you can learn anything and that your your intelligence isn't fixed um, is huge. And that goes for the people who have a highly technical background and also the people who have a less technical background. We have our administrative assistant came in and now she's learning how to code. She's she's doing branching on GitHub and and doing all of these things that are highly, highly technical, and when she first came here, she was like, all I knew how to do was open word, but yet she's learned how to do all of these things. So I think one thing is that the blend or, you know, kind of the the line between who is technical and who is not technical is really blurry, um, and so finding people who are just willing to dive in to get the job done, whatever that job is, is, is the most important thing that I've I look for
1: yeah. So it sounds like you've got to really help your company and uh, people in it. You know, think about many different areas and, and be good in di- many different things. And that's really one of the jobs of the CEOs to be constantly thinking about lots of different things and sort of uh, I almost uh, would equate it to uh, uh, you know a chef. Making you know an order for fifteen people all at one time. They've got you know pans, hot pans going all the time, and things being chopped over there. And you know it, it is you take your eye off one thing, and it, you suddenly have a problem. So I'm always curious to sort of you know when we talk to CEOs, what are some of the things they're really thinking about? You know, maybe it's talent recruitment or development and maintenance. You know, what are some of the things that you're kind of thinking about that's helping your company be successful?
3: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that I put my employees first, and I think of myself as their almost talent agent where the I, I've tried to really flip what the idea of working on legacy code is because it used to be that it was, you know, the people who like working on these types of problems were seen as kind of second-class developers or, oh, they are only interested in maintenance. And instead, it's like, no, this is where the really cool engineering problems are. Like, this is, not everyone can work on these problems. Like, these are reserved for the best of the best of the best. And that's really kind of how I believe in it. And so I recruit for that. I recruit for, you know, the ability to solve complex problems. I recruit for... Um, you know, the ability to um, communicate very clearly. So uh, we call our developers code whisperers because <laughs> they're they're part developer, part business analyst, part you know account manager, part uh, customer service, part everything. And, and it really is kind of that art. And then you know, I see my job as going out and finding and creating a business model that is going to keep them really happy. because the way that you keep engineers happy, is by giving them really interesting problems to solve, giving them the tools and the resources that they need to actually solve the problem and getting out of their way. And it's interesting because when I've had conversations with other agencies, because I actually have been very successful in recruiting these very senior engineers that are typically difficult to recruit in silicon valley or just in technology in general and people ask me all the time how I do it and then I explain I'm like well that's that's it that's the secret i try to find really 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 good projects for them and people are like well that would require me upending my entire business model <laughs> and so so a big piece of this is that my entire business model is built around my talent and making sure that they have projects that are going to keep them really engaged and really happy
1: well, it's a pretty interesting and, um could say, unique kind of model that you put together, um, both in the you know, business need that you've gone after and then how you've really kind of organized your company. So uh, imagine that you had some influences then on, on how to build a culture and what maybe you were going to do. You know, was, there a, was there a process? Was there an influence? Was there a book or a person? You know, how did you kind of come up with, with that idea and, you know, and really formulate it into something that was workable?
3: Yeah, it started because my business partner is one of these people. And so in the very beginning, it was just he and I. And, you know, I was doing more of the sales, marketing, operations, everything, finance. And and it was like, okay, Scott, what projects do you really like? And we just kept honing it in and we just kept honing it in. And then eventually we were like, there has to be other people like you. So a lot of it was just kind of through experience and seeing how much joy he got from some of these projects and seeing it in his eyes where he's like oh my gosh I solved this bug and it's been bothering me and just really looking you know at this at the kind of social psychology of somebody who enjoys tackling these types of problems as opposed to building something new so a lot of it was just kind of observation but then I would say there's there's three books that have had just a profound impact on me the first one that I read was rework when that was early in our company, which is by Jason Frieden, um, uh, DHH, uh, who wrote Rails. And it's well known in the software world. And their just approach to running a company is very, very different. Um, It's it's all about being very lean. It's about being unconventional. um, And their book about how they built up uh, 37 Signals and their flagship product, Basecamp, really centered around problem building, um, not having a lot of meetings, and really a culture that was really attractive to engineers. And so that was the first one. The next book that I read that was really kind of impactful was Brene Brown's Daring Greatly, where she talked about how important empathy is in workplace and in just human people connections and the first consultant that after I that I worked with after I read that she goes oh no 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 you're in software you can't use the word empathy people will laugh you out and it's interesting because now I feel like her work has permeated so much uh, throughout the culture just in general, and it's had such a profound impact that now it's like we're making some traction there. But but really having an empathy um, and understanding that we, we are all humans, right? And even if we are working with computers, the people who work with computers are very human, and there are sensitivities, and we can't treat them like cogs in a machine, and I think that's something where a lot of uh, technical companies go wrong, and I know I've been a product of that where I've worked at agencies where I just didn't feel valued as a human. I felt like, you know, kind of, uh, you know, just a number, and and so really kind of bringing that humanity, bringing that vulnerability, bringing that uh, trust back into software, that creativity um, makes projects, things that people want to work on. And then the last one, when we got really serious about, um, you know, building the business that was beyond ourselves and how are we going to recruit people, was Daniel Pink's book Drive, and he talks about kind of the three pillars of motivation and what he calls motivation, I think, 3.0, which is the knowledge economy. And basically the idea, especially in software, is that, you know, as a company, you know, there is a... Developers. a good developer is interviewing you way more than you're interviewing them. And so you have to create an environment that is incredibly attractive if you want to retain the top talent. And so in there, he talked about three concepts, purpose, autonomy, and mastery. And when we were first building our benefits, that's what we focused on. So we focused on our purpose, you know, legacy Co. We, we got really crystal clear on our core values, on our mission, Autonomy, we learned, you know, from rework and how an asynchronous culture um, without a lot of meetings and with just very open and transparent communication can, can just accelerate growth. And then the last one is mastery. And so for that, we have um, professional development as 10% of your daily, of your weekly time. So we call it 10% time where it's just go learn something new. Stay on the top of your game. And I tell my team all the time that I think of them as elite athletes. And in order for them to perform at their best, you know, I I limit, like, I don't want them working more than 40 hours a week. I don't want them burning themselves out. You know, elite athletes, if you're going to perform at your best, you need rest, you know, you need fuel, and you need to, you know, you need practice time. So, Um, I built that into kind of the operational model where there is time for them to rest and to just do administrative. We have time for doing yoga. We have time for doing uh, journaling. Everyone at the company writes a daily journal and everybody else reads it. And those practices of reflection and just thinking and, you know, kind of slowing down enables us to, when we solve a problem, we can find a solution typically way faster than the people who are burning the midnight oil and just feel burnt out.
1: Well, you have mentioned some great books um, that have been pillars in, in my company and in, uh, guests have certainly talked about in the past. So you guys are definitely on the right track if those are sort of your, your, your starting point there. Um, and uh, if anyone who's listening did not recognize any of those books and had not read them, it's uh, certainly a highly... Recommended uh, for your reading list uh, here here in the fall. You, you know, I, I'm looking and sort of in preparing for our conversation today. I know you've written some articles, and get one of them that was an interesting quote. And you, you've started to kind of talk about this, so maybe we can kind of just you know build upon it. But you, you talked about you know when you build a company, you're really standing on the shoulders of other people. So you know, how how true was this for you as you built your company? I mean, it sounds like your partner had the had the passion around the specific application of doing what your company offers. Um, but maybe beyond that, you know, how, how else are we, you know, standing on the shoulders of others as we as we build our company? I mean, w- what else do you kind of mean by that?
3: Yeah, and I think that's a spin on a quote from Isaac Newton where he's talking about standing on the shoulders of giants. And, you know, it, I think it's the idea that they're, they're real, you know, my job as a CEO is, sometimes I see just to read and absorb and learn all of these different ideas and try to implement them and see what works here. And so I think I'll, I'll use one example, Brene Brown. So she has a ton of research about empathy and vulnerability and shame. And reading her work made me feel, oh, that's why I've never really felt welcome in technology hmm, I wonder if I built a company where empathy was at the center of everything, how would that change? How would that change? Knowing that empathy doesn't really exist in technology, kind of thinking of it as an experiment. And so being able to kind of look to her research on what, you know, has emerged as, you know, really good practices, but then applying it To our specific situation so doing things like the daily journals for example you know everybody was like what we're going to do that and after literally a week everybody (laughs) was just overwhelmed and said this is the best thing ever we have to keep this going um so so doing i like to kind of scour the world for just different ideas and then do mini experiments and say "Hmm, what would happen if and sometimes they work really, really well in the case of the daily journals. Other times, you know, we, we give it a go and it doesn't quite work. But I think that's the neat thing is that you're, you're always looking at what other people are doing and trying to reinterpret it and remix it for what works for your
1: industry and your specific company. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Well, you know, I know um, you, you – Kind of hit hit the nail on the head with, with that one. And then, you know, another one of the articles that I was looking at, you, you kind of talked a little bit about stereotyping and how that can, you know, really threaten a company's success. Um, we've seen a lot of this. We've seen a lot of companies who can take advantage of their competition who's constantly stereotyping and, and kind of pick up employees and, and uh, talent. They can pick up uh, customers and market share um, but maybe what did you mean by that, and, and how did you overcome this? You know, I, the idea of stereotyping to really kind of move forward in a you know in a seamless way in your company.
3: Yeah. So this came about kind of front and center because there's this idea of stereotype threat, where if you are presented with a stereotype about yourself, like or about your, you know, your group. Then your performance can sway towards the stereotype as a, as opposed to your individual. So it limits your growth potential. And so I'll give you an example. So for me, I come from the marketing world, right? And I for for the seven years that I've run this business, the first question that almost anybody has asked me is, "And you know, I'm, I'm Andrea. Nice to meet you. Yeah, I own a software business. Really." Do you code? And immediately that deflates my confidence because I was like, do I not? Of course I code. I run a software company, right? Like, I learned how to code. I've spent eight years doing it. But immediately because I don't look like somebody who codes, people make assumptions, and that immediately puts me back, and then I can't present my fullest self. And the same is true on the opposite end where, you know, Donald Trump, had a thing last night where he was talking about how, you know, all people who work in security, you know, all hackers are 400 pound people living in their basement. And it's like, there are just these pervasive stereotypes that, that people just assume and they're not true. So the idea that a technical person is antisocial is, is wrong. Um, The idea that somebody who's female and, you know, has good social skills can't code is wrong. And so the idea, like I said, is it's being very blurry. So the way that I've overcome that at our organization is we do a lot of um, unconscious bias training. So that's standard for everyone. Um, Google and Facebook have both very generously open sourced their training for that so that smaller companies like mine can take advantage of some of the great research that's out there. But just op- being aware of your bias, I think, is the first step. Um And then the second is, you know, I went so far as I got so sick of being asked if I code that I got a tattoo of a JavaScript function that basically says I can be anything I want on my dominant hand. So now when I shake somebody's hand, they immediately see that I have some code tattooed on my wrist. And so hopefully they will infer that, yes, I code. And I haven't been asked that anymore. I haven't been asked if I code as the first question. And... I tell you just the difference in the past year from not having that question that puts me into stereotype threat, it it gives me that confidence that, yes, I know what I'm talking about. Yes, I have a voice in this, you know, industry. Yes, I can write this article. Yes, you know, I can be on this podcast. Um, whereas before, I would have felt like it wasn't my place. So... I think even in sometimes the questions that we're asking other people think about am i asking this question because it's valid or am i asking this question because it's a stereotype and sometimes even just asking the question kind of can put that other person in the feeling of stereotype threat
1: sure well i know we're uh, just about out of time i want to make sure we ask uh, the important question and that is how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about Corgi Bytes or maybe they've got a legacy platform they need a little help with? What's the best way for yeah. them to do that?
3: Yeah, so you can go to corgibites.com. So corgi like the dog, C-O-R-G-I, and bytes like the computer, dot com.
1: Great. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for being on our show today and sharing uh, great information and reminding us about all these some of these great books that really are are kind of uh really should be at everyone's baseline uh that they're involved in a company so uh love to have you come back and give us an update on how you guys are doing but uh, until then uh best of luck to you and your company
3: thank you thank you very much for having me
1: all right next week we will be joined by uh, bob uh, keller Uh, president and founder of the Employee Engagement Group. But uh, until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.
0: You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.